Welcome to Faith, Reason, and Geekdom. I'm Roger. And I'm Dusty. My brothers and sisters in Christ, join us every Thursday as we work out these three perspectives in our everyday lives. Roger, we have a very interesting guest for our podcast today. Her name is Kristen Hawkins. I can't wait to speak to her and get into how she's able to do this. She started a very small uh, Students for Life action group that recruited more and more people. And then now eventually she has a a national team that serves like 1,200 Students for Life chapters in all 50 states. She's trained over 100,000 young people in the leadership role that is doing something very important in our faith, in our world. And that is this, uh, this, this, this movement to abolish abortion to, to, especially um, among students to make them aware of, of all the problems and things that happen Mm -hmm. with this. This is a, a human rights activist who's doing amazing things with her life. And the thing that really impresses me the most is that she's really still so young. So I can't imagine the, uh, the impact that she's going to have mobilizing this pro-life generation. And, and that has its, its own implications. So I'm really happy to introduce you to Kristen Hawkins. Hey, everyone. Good to be be with you guys today. I'm just so impressed, Dusty, like all the stuff that she's done. Yeah, you said so young and also a mother, a wife, like that's incredible. It makes me feel ashamed. Like, what have I like? What have I done? Like, you know, it's kind of but a good kind of like in motivation, so much things to get into. It's well, it, it, it's because we, you and I didn't go to Bethany College, which she is uh, summa cum laude ah. <laughs> with a bachelor's oh, in political please. science. <laughs> political science. Wow. That doesn't come in handy in nowadays at all. At all. Like, that's not, you don't need that. It's useless. actually a pretty useless degree, to be honest with you. I always regret <laughs> not getting like a marketing or business degree. Those are things that, you know, it it teaches you lessons, but a lot of those lessons you can learn very quickly on the campaign trail or working on Capitol Hill, Washington, D.C. Um, but yes, it, it, it was a lot of fun. It trained me well for the debates I, I have and to and to feel comfortable at being outnumbered uh, when having discussions amongst people. So. So when you when you're out there doing this, uh, yeah. first of all, I, I want to know before we jump into this, you are a wife and a mother. How long have you been married? How many kids do you have? Uh, I've been married over 16 years. I think it's yeah, 16. Yeah, 16 and a half years. Um, my husband and I met the first day of high school. Wow. Um, so we were together a long time before we got married um, and we have four children. Uh, Gunner's 13, Bear, who's 12, Maverick, who's eight, and Gracie, who is seven. Oh, my. That is a busy household. Mm. That is a busy, which which makes it all the more impressive that you've been able to build and launch this amazing group of young people, this organization that has spread. When you set out to do that, did you think that it was going to be as big as it is today? No, I could never have envisioned I wish I could say I could I, I envisioned exactly, you know, the the path we would take at Students for Life, having, you know, nearly a hundred staff members, two different organizations. 
um, the opportunities, the 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 things we've have gotten to do, the legislation we've been able to champion and get passed in states like Oklahoma that now have no abortion. Um, uh, no, I could never have envisioned what God had in store for, for students for life. It was, I, you know, I kind of talk about sometimes in some of my presentations of it's that the power of simply saying yes to a conviction that he's placed on your heart, um, and saying yes to his will and following his will in your life. And, uh, it's an amazing, uh, it can lead to some amazing places that you never discovered, but yes, it, um, it's, it's been an incredible journey and one that, you know, obviously now in this post row era continues for and actually has sped up. I feel like I'm in like a convertible trying to keep my hair from going <laughs> every direction and then having to make split second decisions about which road we're taking. And I have mere seconds to do it, or we go off into the wrong direction and wow. delay our journey uh, to get to the final destination of protection and conception where all human life is welcomed um, in life and protected by law. Um, yeah, that's, that's where I feel, but, um, we're at, but I'm so grateful. I've got an amazing supportive husband who homeschools our four children. Um, and you know, we sold our home, um, and we actually have been living in our fifth world camper for about almost two years at this point, traveling together as a family. Uh, so they get to come along even with me in the journey. Uh, now we have a lot of fun along the way too. Well, I I know Media Matters uh, gave you a title, one of the four worst anti-abortion misinformers. And and you're out there speaking and and at pro-life conventions and events all over the country. You're on media. You've been on CNN, on MSNBC, uh, uh, HBO, CBS, you name it, every network. Why do you like being known as one of the four worst uh, anti-abortion misinformers. This is, uh, I was reading your bio and it's, it's a title that you wear very proudly. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I did have to rub that into them. Uh, <laughs> when they, when it's funny, you know, sometimes we've, we've had some hit pieces uh, being published about our work at students for life uh, since the fall of Roe and our involvement in that. And in the States, yeah. um, I love those hit pieces. They're like the most they're, they're the most flattering things that <laughs> folks can write about me because they're not um, they're not written from someone who has a Christian worldview, who, who is pro-life. Uh, these are pieces written by very angry pro-abortion uh, individuals who recognize uh, the power of mobilizing the pro-life generation and recognize the effectiveness in that work. And to me, that that's the biggest compliment when someone who uh, can't stand you or detest you has to recognize uh, <laughs> that you're clearly beating them at changing the culture. So yeah, I love that. Especially <laughs> for media matters. People. Like that is impre- like, I, that's proud. That's for media matters. Like I, that's my dream. One day I want media matters to take a clip and clip, look at this guy. He he believes the the unborn are human. Like what kind of disgusting, <laughs> despicable? Yeah. Look what he said about the. Look at what he said about human dignity. How dare he? Like that's a impressive thing. That's a badge of honor for sure. Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, when you're being attacked, um, 
you know, you know, you're, you're making an impact and you're getting under people's skin. Your message is getting out there. It's getting heard. I actually get very pretty. I get pretty upset if I go to a campus now and I'm, I'm doing my speaking tour. that's just launching for fall. I do like a fall and spring theme and I, I choose about 10 campuses to do a speech at and I get upset if there's not protesters because if there's not protesters yeah. at my speech that to me means we didn't do a good enough job advertising I was going to be there True. advertising this discussion was going to be brought up because True. this is this is a contentious issue and especially when you're talking with young people on campuses becoming pro-life is more than just maybe having to admit that you're wrong about something maybe it means you have to you know those people you didn't want to vote for because you don't like them you have to reconsider who you vote for it also for a lot of students means you have to readdress some of the decisions that you're making in your own personal life mm-hmm. um, because you have a lot of people who are on campus who don't you know we know the polls a majority of, of Americans don't like abortion they don't like to think about abortion but for a lot of young women Um, We have found through our research, and obviously, you know, I used to be a a younger woman, uh, so I I still remember what it's like. Mm -hmm. Uh, Abortion, um, for many, is kind of seen like a parachute or a um, get-out-of-jail-free card, where you only get one. Now, it's it's fascinating. Um, They say that, you know, they respect every woman's choice. And then if sometimes you ask people, what about women who have two abortions? And then instantly the people who respect everyone's choice don't like that. But Mm. but women tend to, a lot of women tend to see like every woman gets one abortion. You get one abortion, you get one mistake that you've made. And so when you're on campus and you're having conversations about every single abortion ends unique, whole living human life that is unrepeatable, um, that may mean you may have to reconsider who you're dating or what you're doing on your dates. Um, it may, you, you may have to reconsider the decisions that you're making. Um, and so that, that's a hard thing. That's why it's, you know, I always coach our students, you know, to plant seeds of truth. Um, and you be, you know, we measure when we have conversations on campus, we're counting the number of conversations. We try to count the number of conversions. And so I always have active numbers. I have a percentage, like, you know, we're changing 10% of people's minds in person right there on campus. We can change 18 to 34% online or digital conversations. But I know that that rate, that in-person rate is actually very low mm. um, because the, the fact is most people aren't going to admit to you. Uh, that they were wrong and they're going to have to they're going to have to think about what you said and you know you might have planted that seed but next time they're watching tv or next time they're having a conversation with a friend that conversation and those nuggets of truth that you've you've given them are going to come back to the surface i like what you said about that's true about most because of studies you look at any of the studies a lot are repeat offenders if you will um and I imagine like somebody going into a board Planned Parenthood with a stamp and then they punch in your ticket like, oh, your, your third abortion, you get this one free. And it's like, oh, I get all the stamps. Somewhere. It's like, well, yeah, it's like a, a punch hole ticket thing. It's like I, that doesn't make any sense. That's that should be. Yeah, it should make people stop and think. You said something mm-hmm. about your students, your student. And I want to get into that. I want to how in 2022 in this culture, in this environment. How do we reach the youth, the students? How do you do that? Yeah, I mean, it it is, um, it's hard to have to have 
and force a conversation on campus. But I think that's exactly what you have to do. You have to be willing uh, to force that conversation. Um, and that means going and having a table on campus with an intriguing topic. So our campus tour uh, this fall that will be on about 200 campuses is abortion is not a right. And that's drawn a lot of people in um, because you've got to get people to take the earpods out of their ear and actually have a conversation with you. Um you know, and so we have a, a lot of different engagement techniques like that at Students for Life that our 1300 chapters and groups across the country will employ or host on campus because the whole point is find something that's intriguing, find something that will make someone take a double take. We do a lot of um, you know, on campus like polls, like come give us your opinion, come vote on this because everybody you know, wants to tell you their opinion on whatever subject it is. Um, but do as much as possible to be out there in front of this, in front of the student body, raising this issue so you can have conversations. Uh, and if people come and they protest you and they get angry at you, um, keep having those conversations. In fact, those protesters uh, will probably even bring more traffic uh, mm. to 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 your your group and your mission on campus. The national study that was done, there have been many from the Journal of Psychiatric Research, says that con abortion contributes significantly to anxiety disorders, mood disorders, substance yeah. abuse disorders. Um, these are all issues, of course, that, that affect our young people and, and older people. How, how do you, or do you, I guess, uh, discuss these types of issues with young people to to get their eyes open to what is potentially going to take place the moment a decision for abortion is made yeah you know we um when we're talking to, to, to young women particularly about abortion you know we always want to keep the main thing the main theme which is abortion kills unique whole living human being that's unrepeatable never existed before will never exist again but we are also making, uh, you know, a self-interested argument for these young women. That abortion isn't the solution you've been taught. It is that, you know, the circumstances that you find yourself in, whether it's an abusive relationship, um, unsure of where you're going to get the money to feed your, your born children uh, the next month, those situations don't get resolved with abortion. In fact, abortion only compounds your problems and potentially adds, as you just mentioned, uh, additional ones uh, that you'll have to suffer through and you'll have to deal with for the rest of your life. And so we do we do try to have that conversation of, um, you know, abortion isn't the solution. Okay. Um, and that there's a, you know, what we're trying to do on campuses, and I know if you ask any of our students for life groups across the country, uh, what they're trying to do, they'll say, you know, we're trying to change minds with those most targeted by the abortion industry. And we're also trying to transform our campus, transform the campus so no woman ever again feels like she has to choose between the life of her child and her education or the life of her child and her career. And that's what's so, um, uh, what I find so inspiring amongst this Gen Y and Gen Z 
pro-life activists, the pro-life generation, as we affectionately call ourselves, um, is that they really see the work as a twofold mission. Um, you know, being there at the Supreme Court the day Roe was reversed, every single student who was there with us, you know, was so excited, jubilant as the decision, but we all knew instantly that her work was compounding, that now our work goes state by state, to make abortion unavailable through state legislatures, through elections that we hold, you know, legislators accountable. A lot of these people who said they were pro-life for a long time, but never really had to do anything hard now have to do something hard, but we also have to work to make abortion unthinkable. That's what we've been doing in our communities through students for life's abortion free cities campaign or what they've been doing on their campuses or so many amazing pro-life ministries have been doing for nearly 50 years. Um, and so, you know, the students, it was a very heavy uh, responsibility, responsibility we kind of see being placed upon our shoulders um, because, you know, being there at the Supreme Court, watching Roe fall, it, it was a triumph Incredible. for us, but it wow. wasn't our, I don't see it as our victory. Sure. I think okay. our, our victory, our generation's victory um, really will come with that protection and conception. Abortion is made unthinkable and yep. unavailable right. throughout our 50 states. And that's really the charge yes. that I've been speaking to our young people about is, you know, keeping up that vision and, and the momentum and the sense of urgency uh, in the wake of, of row falling. Speaking of young people and you talk about young women and of course that's where, you know, obviously, but what about reaching our young men? What Great do you question. Do to do that? Great question. That, that is a very qu good question. You know, we have um, about, I would say, 30 to 40 percent of our group members are men. Mm -hmm. um, we have our National Pro-Life Summit, which happens the day after the National Pro-Life March, the largest um, pro-life kind of conference in the world. Uh, we, you know, it's the same thing. It's like 30 to 40 percent men. The men love it because it's a great way to find young pro-life women. Uh, and and they uh, they have their fair share of beautiful, intelligent young women. Um, but it is a problem because, you know, a lot of our clubs will say, you know, we want more young men to join us. Okay. Uh, but they've been conditioned uh, from their mothers, sadly, uh, that they have no say, that exactly. they should sit back and sit down and shut up. You hear that um, all the time. Oh, yeah. No, we're we're finishing up a a. a a six figure research project. I'll find the results out in about two weeks. We did it first with women and the second part was men. And so we're getting ready to finish up the men. I called it the mushy middle men study <laughs> and then before we had mushy middle women. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's, we did these in-depth one-on-one interviews with dozens and dozens of men. And then we created kind of themes and commercials and we're showing to them. I'm waiting to see the, the final result because it's actually um, what we didn't expect was that the men were vastly more complicated than the women. The women were actually pretty, it was pretty easy to see what the, what the, what the challenge is. These, I don't like abortion, but women felt they didn't, they had a bad experience with the pro-life movement. They thought that the pro-life movement in their mind was a bad brand. They had that, that get out of jail free card concept of, I don't like abortion, but if I get in trouble, um, I should be able to have a 
just one, just one get out of jail free card. Um, and then you also have with the women, this feeling of, I don't want to pick a side that, you know, being in the middle is actually the moral high grounds because extremism on both sides is bad with men. And so it was, it was very linear when we were like discussing it with the researchers, you know, the, the themes we had to overcome with these in the middle women with men, when we did the same thing, it was like the entire page was like insane. And wow. it was like every reason under the sun, every justification for abortion. Um, a lot of the men had had a personal um, situation arise, okay. uh, where their girlfriend, uh, their cousin chose abortion. Um, uh, somebody in their life chose abortion and they watched by. And there was one man I remember watching. We did it in Chicago <clears throat> and you know, he went on to say how he didn't regret his girlfriend having an abortion when he was in his 20s. But now as a 40, you know, almost 40 year old man. Yeah. You know, he'll never have children. Yeah. And he'll never have children. And, and that sometimes weighs on him of I can't take my kids to a baseball game and I don't. And he's like, but I don't regret that was her choice. Mm. But I'll never have children. A contradiction uh, within. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely this contradiction within. And I think it's so sad because you can see a lot of the mantras that, you know, our mother's generation um was raised to believe, those who were, you know, in the high schools and the in middle schools in the 70s when Rose handed down. Um, you hear these mantras being repeated by the men, but they haven't actually thought them through themselves. Um, there's also a lot of men who just simply don't want to take responsibility of, right. you know, I don't want to be stuck. There was one guy who was like, I don't want to be stuck with her. There was all this drama. And I remember the oh my. just, you know, very kindly and quietly as he did, you know, said, well, why were you continuing to have uh, an intimate relationship with this woman? Mm-hmm. and that was like that was, it was it, to him it was like this crazy disconnect of why would you ask that question like of course i'm having sex when i have sex with this woman but she's yeah, like, i don't care about her but still it, of course it i'm was, still doing it like, it was funny because the researcher was quiet and it was like this awkward point of like dude this is your this is your moment in your life where you can like you know reconcile these two things that you're saying that you would never want to ever have a child with this crazy person, but yet you still want to have sex with her. Um, but he never like, it was funny. He, it was just awkward. And they actually had to move on to a different topic because he never kind of like put two and two together. And so, you know, it's, it's hard. Uh, a lot of the men uh, that we interviewed came from broken families themselves. And so you have some generational trauma there as well that's going on. Um, so yeah, it's, Men, I wish I had a solution. I'll know in a couple of weeks which, you know, message that we kind of picked out. We, you know, we have one about, you know, being heroic. Um, and, you know, sometimes being a hero is is listening yeah. and finding resources and support. But we had to be careful. We didn't want to be too preachy. And it's funny, the men, a lot of pro-lifers think that if we just tell men to be men, it will change their mind on abortion. The problem is they've been conditioned that to be men is bad. Is bad. Yeah. Uh, that's toxic. a bad thing. So like, yeah, you're toxic. So it's funny because a lot of people are like, we just need a commercial to tell men to rise up and be men and be rising. Media and matters like, would have a field day with that. <laughs> but it, and it doesn't connect. It doesn't connect with men. It's, you know, these like championing images of like, you're, you're going to go in and be the hero. 
it doesn't even connect with them. It's, you know, you can be a hero by listening and supporting and just potentially offering another alternative and doing the research. And it was a much, the result that came out was like, it was a lot softer. Um, We also did one that was kind of going back to the man in Chicago of, you know, images throughout the life of what your life would have been like had you had a child. Um, There was another, the third uh, ad is a man who uh, chooses life um, and the mother's not involved at all. And he's a single dad raising the child and talking about, you know, I wasn't ready. I was living with my mom. Um, I didn't know how to do this, but I found a way. And, you know, there's not a a golden answer uh, that solves all of these problems, but if you're willing if you're willing to do it, you'll find this way. And it's just really, it's a really cute, it's a really cute um, video. Yeah. Oh. I think of the book of Genesis when we were talking about men. And I see the image of Adam and Eve in my head. Mm-hmm. And if you read the book, when Eve is going to get the fruit of the tree, the Nahash, right? The serpent comes in and the devil and is tempting her. What is Adam doing? Adam is not protecting his bride. What should have what should he have done? What she he should have done, slap the fruit out of the I don't apple or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't say slap the fruit out of her hand, step in front of her and yeah. with his arm protect her to move her behind and punch the serpent in the face. He probably would have got eaten or something, but that's what he should have done. He should have stepped up. It, it was it was who? The woman. And then he blames God that you put you put her here like the, again the, <laughs> man, the generation is like not only a cowardice that's, right. that's very cowardly it's like i didn't do it it was her and you put her here you it's your fault i blame yeah. you you know it's no men need to learn to sacrifice adam should have sacrificed himself to the serpent the nahash to protecting his bride eve and that's mm-hmm. very that image when we're talking about the men, what can the men do? The men need to step up. And of course, there's generation, you know, we're a long way from World War II. We're a long way from the men doing this heroic stuff. And I, I like how you're also not just throwing the men, oh, well, they're men. They don't have no say. And I like that you're saying, no, um, they need to get involved too. They have a part in this too. It's not just a woman. Maybe the man was just such a horrible person that it, um, not excused her from getting the abortion, but still kind of like diminished her culpability by such this horrible person that wasn't supportive. Yeah, no, it's when I wrote my book years and years ago, we interviewed um, different. I'm taking notes. Sorry for what you just said. That was no, okay. no, no problem. Um, I wrote I wanted to interview different angles from the abortion as you know, the abortion stories of young people who had helped someone choose life on campus, not have an abortion, uh, people who had a friend who had an abortion, girls who had an abortion, the girls who placed their, their children with adoptive families. And what was interesting to me um, was that every story, every person we ended up interviewing for the book who had a, a personal abortion decision that they had to make, the women who found somebody to say no didn't have the abortion. Wow. But the women who couldn't find someone to tell them not to do it had the abortion. That and is there was interesting. one girl, Andrea, we interviewed in St. Louis. She, um, Catholic, very faithful family. Um, 
was looking to have this abortion, she ended up calling nine friends and, and one night asking them, what should I do? Should I take these pills? What should I do? And she kept calling until she got to the ninth friend who said, you know, you don't have to have this abortion. You mm. can't, you can place your child with an adoptive family. You don't even have to become a parent. You don't have to kill your child. And she didn't. She placed for, for with an adoptive family. But it was funny because when we were right. doing the book, I, I said to her, I was like, do you realize like you were calling just to try to find somebody? That's you what kept I was calling. Thinking. Yeah. You just Searching. kept calling until somebody told you no. And I think I think that's the power that men have. Because when you look at the Guttmacher studies and these other studies that are out there, um, about women and why they choose abortion, a lot of times uh, they will say it's lack of partner support, that they don't f- perceive that the partner supported them through this decision, which is interesting because we've had men uh, who will tell us, I didn't want her to have abortion. She'll say, I didn't want to have an abortion, but neither one of them said that. And so it, it's really for men that simple stepping up of saying, tell her, you know, I don't want you to have this abortion. Mm. I want to help you. I'm willing to help, help us figure this out. And whether that means we get married or you place with an adoptive family, or I take the child and raise the child on my own, I'm going to step up and take responsibility here. And it's, but it's so hard because the men have been conditioned from their mothers of her body, her choice, we respect her decision. But when she hears that phrase come out of his mouth, your body, your choice, I'll support you, whatever you decide. When she hears that, she hears, have the abortion. Wow. That mantra is synonymous with have the abortion. So it's not, so even when he thinks he's doing the right thing, using the mantra his mom taught, taught him, uh, even though he doesn't want her to have an abortion, when she, he utters those words, she hears, have the abortion. Well, there have been a lot of studies and and boy, we're spending a lot of time on on a show that's hosted by two guys talking about the effects of abortion on guys, which is interesting. I don't think we planned that. Uh, And and certainly we want to talk about more stuff. But one thing that I found interesting in a study that was done in the 1990s by Buchanan Robbins was that adult males who abort during adolescence end up having more distress in their lives than males who actually have had a child in adolescence. Yeah. yeah. Which which is interesting because you think it's the opposite. You know, uh we've we've had guests on who who talk about the fact that that this baby, today's babies have become today's boogeymen. Yeah. This is the scariest thing, you know, yeah. when you when you when you face the possibility that you're going to have a child. Mm-hmm. And how much of that is built into our brains by our our family by our catholic guilt by television and the media etc so the fact that you guys are out doing this work Kristen, is is so important because and we we see our podcast the same way i mean i uh, roger and i were talking about oh this is another uh a pro-life guest that we're going to have on today we keep doing our part our little part to counteract the stuff that I turn on and see on CNN every day or that I see on, you know, on in movies, um, there's this resistance to life um, that that unfortunately, as you speak to to people who work uh, in the healing ministries in our church will tell you cause so much 
more than just um, you know depression or 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 confusion or helplessness. There are deep, deep rooted issues that come from this from a psychological standpoint. Um, what what do you think is our biggest challenge in continuing to turn the tide, Kristen, to, to help people understand the effects that mm-hmm. await them when they make this decision to end a human life? Yeah. I think one of the things that gets left out of the discussion a lot is kind of what you're saying is this, this long-term pain, yeah. the long-term hurt that you will endure. Um, and that abortion does not make these problems go away. Exactly. It's not the simple solution. And it's so, you know, um, hard, I think, for people to see. And we talk about when we're working at the pregnancy centers and we're counseling women who are in that crisis of abortion, you know, we have to help her get out of the tunnel vision because she's in this like, crisis mode and there's like only one way out and you've got to like calm it down and you've got to take her out of the tunnel and have her look to the left and take and have her look to the right um and i think that's important that we have that discussion i think it's hard though to get to that discussion if people don't like you and i think i was talking about this to a friend last night i think the pro-life movement's long-term brand problems which we've been harping on for years at students for life this is why we you know we're always talking about the pro-life generation we're so intentional about how the pro-life movement's depicted in the media like anytime right. there's a protest i make sure we have young joyful women out front countering these angry um men and women who scream and shout at us and that's intentional. There's a reason to that is because I'm trying to change the media narrative of who pro-life is and who makes up the pro-life movement. And I think right now what we're seeing in this post-Roe era, the first, it's a first in a lifetime opportunity for anyone born after 1973. We've never lived in a world without Roe versus Wade. And so there's a lot of fear mongering. Planned Parenthood's contributing to a lot of that, you know, lies out there about pro-life laws being passed in states are going to mean women who are experiencing ectopic pregnancies are going to be left to die. There's not one pro-life law that's being introduced or passed out there that would do that. But the question is, how can people be so stupid? You know, how can they see this thing on Instagram and feel like that is the correct information and not yep. question it. The reason they can do that is because they don't know who we are. And it's the, you know, belong, believe, behave is our kind of <laughs> mantra on campuses. Mm-hmm. It's why we start students for life groups. Why I don't just go to campuses, do a one-off pro-life event and leave because it's a long-term change. you got to have people on campus, you know, a group that you recognize that you like because until you like the person who's saying the things you don't want to hear you're not you're gonna have a very hard time listening to what they have to say and yep. genuinely understanding and internalizing that comment that they made about life beginning conception they know it, until they know our hearts and that we care more and that for 50 years we've been supporting sustaining entire social safety network across the united states that vastly outnumbers abortion facilities which by the way 75 percent of the neighbors that i've our team has talked to in the past year don't know actually exist then we're never going to be able to break through to them why killing a baby is bad because they have to first know us they have to know our heart know what we do 
And then they'll start to listen to us when we have to say some hard truths that may mean they have to change the way they're living their life. I was going to say, people don't care about how much you know until they, until know they yeah. I and repeat that phrase like two times a day. And I don't, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. When you were talking about that, it struck me because I'm like a reformed person because uh, I don't know if you know who Matt Walsh is. Uh, I was kind of like that a, a lot more because I have a, such a sarcastic and I'm good at it. Like I love just to be, so I've re- I'm reformed where I'm like, man, people do care about feelings. I'm more of facts don't care. Like, but I, unfortunately un- against my test, I'm like, man, they, they really, they don't care about logical, uh, uh syllogisms and philosophy. And I mean, they do, but, uh, they need to know feelings and I'm like, Arr! so like I've been changing and it's, it's hard. hard. I'm, it's I'm, hard. I'm saying I'm with you there, buddy. Uh, I'm not the <laughs> best, uh, one-on-one mind changer in our yeah. team, for sure um because i've been told you can see what through my on my face how i feel your stupidity is showing through so <laughs> i'm much better at the bigger speeches and letting people come up and scream nasty things at me and me respond with facts right and that that work has its own mind changing effect because i can I can point out to the mushy middle people in the audience, the illogical view that I just made the left accept. And, you know, when coming up and yelling at me, I can change minds with the videos um, that we can put online, give people kind of confidence to debate abortion. But when you talk about the one-on-one conversations on our campuses, my team is much better uh, gifted at that than, than I will ever be um, because I am very much of a facts don't care about your feelings. But sadly, yeah, uh, I don't true. think this should be true. Majority of people make decisions yeah. based on their feelings and they really shouldn't. It's a motivism yeah. um, all the time. Um, but this is why uh, we have to do both. I, I read a book years ago, Jonathan Hyatt wrote The Righteous Mind. And it's about how uh, political conservatives and political progressives in every society across the world, how they make decisions about issues. Uh, and you read it and you're, and you know, especially for what I do on campuses, a lot of light bulbs went off. I'm like, yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm. Yep. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's the whole, why are you saying they're bashing your head against the wall? Because you're like, I'm giving you all of the facts yeah. and the person's still going, but you're wrong. It reminds me of, of sophism you know the sophist when they used to just it doesn't matter if the argument is true or not that doesn't matter they're like as long as you you convince people with feelings like sophist and you see it in the political throughout thousands of years and i also think this emotivism the way we live our life now is like i think because they felt like the church failed us thousands of years ago they felt uh certain philosophies failed us all these um different times and it's like well what do we what do we use this philosophy failed us the church failed us oh i know my feelings so then it's like what so that's what they use and Mm -hmm. i like that you're putting the the people that need to be joyful and patient like you said young beautiful well i guess me and you dusty we're not going to be in the pro-life i'm not in them much anymore either so just (laughs) so just so you feel better Kristen, I know we've got you only for a couple more minutes. What are the plans uh, or the calls for action here? What yes. can you tell us about w- what you are, what you're seeing uh, with yeah. your organizations for for people who are listening? Because yeah. we've got a broad range, obviously, of a- 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 different ages and listeners and so forth. What what's the call to action here? Mm. Well, I think for the church, we just had a standing with her National Sunday. 
um, I would encourage you to go to standingwithyou.org. The fact mm-hmm. is the majority of pro-lifers and Christians across the country can't actually ma- name where the local pregnancy resource center maternity home is. We have to do a better job of having kind of the toolkit ready to go and be re- really ready to be the marketers. As I mentioned earlier, we've knocked on 120 thousand doors in 20 neighborhoods surrounding abortion facilities in the past year and a half, 75% of neighbors we talk to don't know the pregnancy centers exist. We have to become the marketers for the pregnancy centers for the maternity homes. So you can go to standingwithyou.org, type in your zip code, and you will find the pregnancy centers, the church churches that are stepping up, even, you know, public services right there. Uh, another thing that you can do is, you know, get your church involved at abortionfreecities.org. It's an outreach of Students for Life. We have church partnerships, uh, kits, trying to get parishes and churches across the country to, I don't know, actually talk about how abortion is bad uh, and to offer resources. We see, I meet a lot of former Christians on campuses, uh, girls who were active in their faith community, became pregnant, mm, and they were yeah. told to choose abortion from their parents wow. or felt like they had to choose abortion or they they would be judged. Yeah. We you know, half to a third, depending on the study, there's a, there's contradictory studies, a third to a half of women who choose abortion say that they've gone to church in the past month. Mm. This is 100% a church issue. Yes. Um, yes. So I would We're... definitely encourage folks to go to abortion-free cities. You can sign up. We're door knocking in certain cities, about 24 cities across the country, where we just door knock, not for a political candidate, but just to say, hey, have you ever heard of these nonviolent resources? Mm. Uh, and to start a conversation about abortion, we're always looking for help with that. But beyond that, we're signing up churches to be, we have about 100 partners now in different parishes and churches across America, you know, promoting the alternatives, promoting services and support. And you can also just, you know, follow along with what we're doing, become engaged. Uh, I have my own podcast, Explicitly Pro-Life. You can listen. I interview all the different uh, leaders of the pro-life movement. It's Great. kind of a, a wonky show. It's a dorky show. I, I, dor- pro-life <laughs> we know what that's like. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know. I'm a geek. Um, because I'm talking about the strategy of the pro-life movement and the different niches within the pro-life movement and uh, things like that. And so I was small, but very loyal following on the, on the podcast. Uh, I felt so bad for the people who binge will listen to all the episodes because I hate the sound oh, of the movies, well, but, oh, wow. uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, you certainly spread your your message mm-hmm. a little bit further yes. today, and we we really thank you so much for coming yes. on. Uh, other thing that I want to say is we want to keep you in our prayers, mm-hmm. all of our listeners, all yeah. of these efforts that are going on. We are definitely uh, fighting David versus Goliath oh, yeah. battle type here, and um, and and so it's not only a church issue; it's also a prayer issue. We oh. we 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 hope that God is able to to bless you, protect you, continue to guide you to do doing this amazing work that you're doing. Keep it up, Kristen. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me today. Thank you all so much. No problem. God bless. Godspeed.